So I want to talk to you this morning about something, uh, a call to remember. And you may have had the opportunity to kind of see that online and what was going to be coming your way. And I'll go ahead and tell you, uh, we're going to be looking at four different events in history, his story, and how that impacts our lives today. So we're going to do a lot of reading. Uh, I'm going old school, so back there on the technology side, you guys are good. Nothing you've got to put up or mess up today, so that's great. Way to go. But what I'd like you to do is go ahead and turn to, uh, uh, we're going to go ahead and turn to Exodus 12. And while we're doing that, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. How many of you have ever just stopped and looked back, kind of become a bit nostalgic? How many of you have old photos? Raise your hand, because this is, yeah, this is an interactive session. Thank you so much. So most everybody here has old photos. And what are some photos that are important to you? David, what's some photos that are important to you? Your children, absolutely, that's right. Do you have any photos? You ha- okay, hold that up, let everybody see. Beautiful <laughs> photo. In my Bible, it's my older daughter and son, and it was his confirmation. That's wonderful. Yeah, I mean, man, you guys were two for two. Okay, <laughs> anybody else have any old photos? Okay. Wedding albums. Uh, wedding albums, you do. But what happens when you look at those things? It's a, You stop. You don't just kind of keep walking and do the dishes and go throughout your day. You stop and you look at it. And a flood of memories comes to your soul. And not all of those memories are great, are they? Some of them are bad, too. I've got a photo to share with you. Can you guys see that? Okay, that's, that's a picture of my grandfather on my dad's side. And this is shortly before his death. And you can't really tell, but I can. Uh, there's a whole bunch of wood that's piled up right over here. You know what that guy did that day? And he's smiling. He's a hard worker. They either said Whirlies were workaholics or alcoholics. And I'll let you know that I work. Um, But I love this picture of my grandfather. And why is because he taught my dad his work ethic, taught me his work ethic. And I teach my children their work ethic. But also, um, it's a reminder of the joy that he had, a lot of joy. I was 13 years old when he passed away. It was also a sad memory because this is the last picture of him. But it's for me. It's something I remember, but I've got to stop and I remember. Got another picture. I'm full of props today, by the way. David is going to pull them all off. I said, no. Look at that. Look at that model couple right there. Do you see that? That's my beautiful wife. You didn't know that was going to happen, did you, Rebecca? But this is all joy. This was 100% joy picture. I married the most beautiful, wonderful person in the world, and I still believe that today. I just love my wife. And I look at this, and I see so much more than just, just um, two you know, beautiful people here, uh, <laughs> humbly speaking. But I see representation. I, I see the bride of Christ, right? I see the bride of Christ, some guy there. Um, but I also see future, five children, five children. And I just see the decisions that they're making in life, and it makes me happy. It just brings back such good memories to see this, and I celebrate it. We're coming up on our 26th anniversary, September 14th. So if you want to donate to the PWCF, which is the Poor Worldly Children Foundation, you're welcome to do that. Let me know. We'll be glad to accept any gifts, donations, charitable, etc., so on. Anybody know what this is? That's right. It's cane. What are canes used for? Don't say smacking you kids, because that's why God made coat hangers, okay? No, did I say that out loud? I'm sorry. uh, But this is a cane. What is cane used for? Cane's used for supporting yourself. And if you remember a couple weeks ago, I shared with you, I had a pretty 
pretty devastating injury. And I had a devastating injury just a month or so after I after just was delivered. God saved me. And I'm sitting here going, okay, I followed Jesus. I'm going to get hurt. You better believe it. But you know what? There's not a day in my life that goes by I don't have pain in my foot and my knee and my hip. In fact, my hips come out of joint twice. One time so bad, I, it was just I had to work. I had to make money. But I remember I was laying stone at the bottom of a hearth. And it that wasn't the bending down that hurt. It was the rising back up. And it makes you think of uh, Jacob and Esau's reconciliation. And God touched his hip, wrestled with him at Peniel. And you think every day that Jacob was remembering something? But let me ask you this. Don't you think that Joshua, I mean, excuse me, that Jacob was much happier with that dislocated hip and reconciled with his family? Oh, yeah. I can tell you right now there's not a day that I complain about my ankle that I'm not thankful because I know what it was before. I know what my life was before. It was filled with arrogance. It was filled with pride. It was filled with sin. But when my ankle hurts, it's a strong reminder. I'm different. So let me ask you a question. What about you? Because we're going to talk about that today. Maybe you got an old bank statement, and you look back and you realize that that bank statement was not the best. It was a time when you were really struggling with your family. You know, what am I going to do? But God delivered it. Now you look at your bank statement a little bit better. God took care of you. Uh, maybe you got a dent in your car. Nobody likes a dent in their car, but sometimes they're humorous, aren't they? You remember, oh, I did that. What about gravestones? Solemn moment. Um, I've had to bury a few of my uncles and aunts over the past couple years, and I got to speak at their graveside memorials. And while I'm there, they're laid to rest right beside my grandfather, picture you saw my grandmother. And it floods, a lot of memories come back. Some are happy and some are sad. But I want to go ahead and set the stage for you. As we get ready to talk about the Exodus, we talk about the Passover, we need to do some comparisons. So July 4th, uh, 2022, is 426 years, excuse me, 246 years rather, that America has been in existence since their declaration of independence from the United Kingdom. That pales in comparison to 430 years in slavery, slavery that the Hebrew nation was under. 430 years. So I want to read, but let's keep this in mind. This was a nation that God is going to deliver. And I want to go ahead and uh, open up, and we're going to talk about four things today. And then let's see what the Lord is going to do in our lives personally and also collectively as a church. But we're going to talk about the Exodus, the Passover, maybe some things that you've never thought about. We're also going to talk about the memorial stones at the crossing of the Jordan, maybe some things you haven't ta- thought about. Um, we're also going to talk about uh, Christ's death and the crucifixion and maybe some things we haven't thought about. And then lastly, we're going to talk about the call to be living stones and maybe some things we haven't thought about. So if you would, let's go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 12 and let's begin reading. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Stop there. There's a declaration made both to Moses and Aaron that this new month is Nisan, the new month. That's the new month. It didn't matter how it fell on the calendar before, but that was going to be the new month for the Hebrew people. And it was to be dedicated as the new year for them because something is getting ready to happen. 
He said, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Take note, it's going to come back up. The 10th day of the first month is declared as something special. They're going to take into their home a lamb. And if any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor. Imagine sharing a lamb with somebody. Huh. Having taken into account the number of people there are, you are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without effect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Did you guys know that? It could be a sheep or a goat. I never read that before. Shame on me, but it could be either. And take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. And I'm going to stop there. This has been preached on before, many, many times. Many of you heard this before. Can you imagine from your livestock, you're taking something out or you're, you're buying and taking this into your home, and it's really still a baby lamb. What's your family going to do, David, with that little lamb? They're going to dress it up and name it, <laughs> right? You're going to take it into your household, and it's going to become part of your family for those five days, the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th. But then on the twilight of the 14th, something happens you obey the Lord. And that's a sad time. And the question is, why? Why? This was new to Israel. Why? This is an innocent lamb. Why? Well, there's a reason. And let's read on. Then they are to take some of the blood from the lamb and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they are to eat the lambs. And I'll stop and say, let's look at the Hebrew word put. Because that word can also be strike, can also strike the blood. Take a bundle of hyssop, dip it in the basin where that lamb, the blemish-free lamb, was sacrificed. The blood was picked up, and it was struck on the, on the, on the lintel and also on the post. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. And do not eat the meat raw or boiled in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and internal organs. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some of it is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. I'm going to skip down to verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. Well, folks, some of you know that I'm in construction. That's what I do, and I build, and we say lentils doorpost. But there's importance of that in construction, as you can imagine. And um, we'll call it a header. Any door that you have in construction, whether it is commercial or residential, has to have a thick header across it. It has to be supported by doorposts, which we would call jacks, king jacks, so forth. And it supports the weight of what's above it, the roof. And what this does, it creates something called safe passage. Safe passage. And some of you guys are already way past me on this, aren't you? I see you over there, and you go, hmm, that's right. It creates safe passage. 
This is a simple code. It makes sense. You're a builder, right, James? Are you just going to throw something up and hope it works? No. As you get older, you realize you want that insurance. You want to make sure it's done right. You're going to take your time because you have very important people that are going to be passing in and out. What about your livestock? You do the same to your barn. Why would you build it any different? Because you care about your animals, all right? You want to make sure that the header is strong, but it's adequately supported on the sides because you're going to have important people and guests and things and life going in and out and through those doors. Let's read on. Verse 14, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting order. So we're commanded, they are commanded, his people are commanded to remember this. Remember what you're doing. Remember the lamb. Remember the heartache. You're going to do this every year in remembrance. And you're going to point back. You're going to stop, stop all things. I don't care what your margins look like. You're going to stop and do this. It's important for your sake and for my glory. Verse 21, then Moses summoned all the elders of Israel and said to them, go at once. Again, there's haste. And select the animals for your families and slaughter the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and put some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. None of you should, shall go out of the door of your house until morning. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house or strike you down. Verse 24, obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. When you enter the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, observe this ceremony. So they haven't even taken off, and he's already saying, hey, when you get there, this is what you're going to do. If you remember, God spoke to Gideon, and Gideon was hiding in the threshing over there in the rock. He was threshing wheat off the corner. He's just a coward, kind of the Barney Fife, I guess, of prophets of judges, rather. And uh, God said, hey, man of valor. Hey, man of valor. He spoke to him of what he was going to be. And he's speaking to them now saying, listen, you're going to get out of here. You're going to be delivered. You're going to be in the promised land. And you will look back at this time. And you're going to continue this ordinance. And I love verse 26. Earmark this. And when your children ask you, and I'm going to stop. In our lives, how often are our children asking us why we returned something we didn't pay for and accidentally walked out the grocery store with it? Are our children asking us, why are you kneeling in prayer about this? Your children ask you different questions about, why do we go to church on Sunday? You know, why are we going to prayer group? Why are we taking a meal to our neighbor? You see what I'm getting at? We should be doing things just like this, that are symbolic, that our children stop and ask, what's this about? Why are you? Because it's so different than what the world would do. And when your children ask you, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them. Then tell them. And folks, I'll tell you is don't hold back. I have five children, and if they ask me something spiritual, I don't hold back. I just pray that I do it right and it, it sticks. And you'll say, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshiped. The Israelites did just what the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, 
Verse 29, and at midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn of Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night and there was a loud wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. Verse 31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and all the Israelites. Go worship the God you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go and also bless me. You sense a little fear there? You remember Pharaoh, in my opinion, represents Satan quite well. You can go do these things, but leave behind this. You can do that, but leave behind this. Always leave behind a remnant, like a little weed patch for him to contend with. I, we have got to be in a place where it's all or nothing. You can't have one foot in the boat and one on the dock. It doesn't work. It doesn't work well. I can tell you that. I've experienced that. <laughs> um, it, you're going to go splash. It's not going to be good. So at this point, God does what only God can do, and it's more than just convincing Pharaoh. It's an absolute final straw. Prior to this were nine plagues. The ninth plague was darkness. Absolute darkness over the land. It was foreboding. It was forewarning. Something is going to happen big. And sure enough, the people who did not follow what the, even the Egyptians could have the opportunity to do, they did not. They could have the opportunity to take in, believe in the God of the Hebrews. They could slay the lamb. They could strike the blood on the lintel and the doorpost, and their lives could be saved. They chose not to. And because of that, the greatest wailing and weeping that could ever occur in Egypt happened. The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country. Well, that makes sense. Aren't you glad that they had their sandals on, their staff in their hand? Aren't you glad that they had their cloaks tucked ready to go? Aren't you glad that they had bread, unleavened bread ready to go? They're getting ready to carry it. They know it's going to be a long journey, so I would imagine it's more than just a loaf that's ready. Remember that. It was a substantial amount of food that they're getting ready to take on their way. For otherwise, they said, if you don't go, we will all die. They knew God meant business. They knew they were on the wrong side of history as well. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added, get it, unleavened bread, and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs, wrapped in cloth. Do you think that was heavy? We're going to see somewhere else that people carry things on their shoulder here in a moment. But they carried it on their shoulder. They left in haste. And God created all, he called all the Egyptians to have favor upon his people, that they were giving them livestock. They were giving them carts. They were giving them gold. They were giving everything that they had and said, go, just move away from us because we don't want to die. We don't, we realize we're under God's judgment. The 10th plague was bad. We're done. Go. We know this story, but what is not mentioned, um, but maybe where the speculation is this, and I'll ask you, what happens when the Egyptians had time to grieve? What happens when the Egyptians had time to come to grips with reality? What just happened? There were empty homes that used to be the Hebrew quarters. They're gone. There's nobody there. There's no, there's no sight or sound or smell of food. There's nothing there. It's empty. All the construction of their monuments and their memorials ceased. 
You getting where I'm going with this? As they probably walk through, now I can't prove it, so speculate with me. As these Egyptians walk through these empty quarters, what do you think stood out more than anything to them than it just being hollow space? Anyone ever walked into an empty, deserted home? I did recently, and it's weird feeling. It's scary. I'm telling you, I, I thought something was going to jump out and get me. But what they had to have noticed was there's this consistent marking on all of these houses that are empty. And all of those houses that are empty never experienced any kind of death because there was blood on the lintel and blood on the doorpost. Something different has happened here. What if you were an Egyptian thinking those things? Well, maybe you have the spirit of an Egyptian. Maybe someone's watching today that's on the opposite side of Christ. And they're wondering, I'm losing every turn I lose. But I see something different in the life of people around me. Their life is marked with the blood of Christ. But you know, I wonder what went through their minds. And the note that I have here is their gods, they were put on trial and they failed. Every one of them failed. That previous plague of darkness, the ninth plague, was nothing compared to the darkness of losing loved ones. Nothing. You see, the blood of the Lamb changed things. Blood can testify against you. Blood can give you life. And blood speaks a strong message. I'll give you an example of two dear friends of mine. Hector Gutierrez and Mauricio Villa. I've known Hector for nearly 20 years and he and I have grown. We, we work together. We work well together. Same personalities. And I'm sorry for that. <laughs> We're both very driven people. Very type A, type D, if you're familiar with that kind of system. We want things done, done a certain way. And we want punch list and bullet list. And we just want to move forward. And sometimes that personality leaves wakes behind them. It hurts relationships. It hurts people. Not intended. It's the way we are. But uh, Hector and Mauricio, Mauricio I've known for about five years, and we've recently built some together and done some things together. And I like what was said. Um, these guys understand how to build headers. They understand how to build support systems because they understand the safety behind all of it. But I want to share with you something that Hector told me probably six months ago. He says, you know, he said, where we work and the things we do are very different. People come at this place and their lives are transformed. And I can tell you why. It's because Mauricio wakes up at 4 o'clock every morning and he takes this word, he reads it, and he prays over everything that our lives and hands are going to touch. And Hector got it and said, you know what? It's not a job site. This is a joy site. And he says, not because I'm proclaiming that. He said, because people come on here, all of our vendors come on this location, and their lives are transformed, their lives are changing. Something's different. You know what's different? What's different is in their lives, the blood of Christ is on the header and on the doorpost of their heart. We recently had a, a man come up that was very frustrated, and he just had to dig a tank for us. That was it. He couldn't get in touch with anybody in the mountains of North Carolina. Imagine the cell reception being bad. That's odd, huh? So he was upset. He was so mad. And 
he got on sight and he was just tense. Anybody ever feel like that? Be honest. Just tense. Or you see someone like that, tense. He walks on the job site. Oh, I'm ready to leave. I just don't want to do this. And Hector listened to him and said, well, tell me about it. What's going on? He said, why this, that, and the other? He goes, well, hey, well, if you feel like you need to leave, it's okay. We can, I don't want you to get upset. We can work through it. We can hand dig it, whatever you need us to do. Guy steps back. It's like, what? And he proceeds to dig, and he digs in the softest place in that mountain. He said it was the easiest job he'd ever done in his life. Put in a huge gas tank, covered it up. Hector said by the time he left, he was so full of joy. What's different is because he walked through the door. Their lives were covered with the blood of Jesus above and beside. The, the doorposts of their hearts were covered, and that man was able to walk through. He got a glimpse. He got a glimpse, and he was able to walk through and find peace. Now, I don't know where he is with the Lord, but I do know this. We are all called to live as an active door. Are we not? All right, we're going to move on. I could camp out there for a while. Let's move to Joshua chapter 3. We're now going to talk about, and I want you to hold on to that. We're going to talk about the uh, uh, doorpost a little bit later too. But let's look at Joshua 3, 14 through 23. And we're going to talk about crossing the Jordan and setting up the memorial stones. And as you're turning, just quick history. Um, you know, Moses was called to send in 12 spies into the promised land, and he did. And 10 came back with unfavorable report. Two came back with favorable report, Joshua and Caleb. We know that. And because they did not possess the land as God had planned for them to do, for every day that they were in the, the promised land to take it, that they did refuse to take it, was one year that they are going to take a lap around the desert, right? And they were the wilderness of sin or the desert of sin. Ah, interesting. Keep that in mind as well, okay? So we're going to pick up that Moses has now um, died. Part of the reason he died and was not able to enter the promised land because he was told to speak to the rock to bring forth water, and he raised up his staff, kind of like the cane here, and he didn't speak to the rock, but what did he do? He struck it. Water poured forth. Well, who was that rock? What did that rock represent? Right. It's Christ. Moses was able to look into the promised land only. He was never able to enter but the promise that God made to Moses at Sinai, he said, when you cross the Jordan, you will set up 12 memorial stones. He said that. Moses couldn't enter in, but God's promise entered in, didn't it? God was faithful to send those stones across. And the way he did it was through his carrier, his new appointed person, Joshua. And God made the promise to Joshua, I will, I will do everything I've done through Moses through you, and the people will see it and they'll respect it. God cared about his plan and his purpose. He cared about those people, and he cared about elevating Joshua in the eyes of the people. Let's read. It's going to seem a little redundant, but that's the way sometimes history is, is we read it and what to do, and then they repeat that they did it. But bear with me. Verse 14, 314. When the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Keep that in mind. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam or Adam. Interesting. Huh. 
in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. Now, many of you understand and you know geography, and so this is not new. I'm not going to camp out on this, but I do want to talk about it briefly. Where does water, fresh water, typically come from? Well, it comes from rain, or it can come forth from the ground in the form of streams and so forth. En Gedi is not too far away, but there'd be water that feeds the source of the Jordan River. Imagine that being birthed. See that baby over there? Okay, that baby's right there, right there early on, up towards uh, uh, the, the spring. That's our life. And then the Jordan River begins to travel south, and it's low. It's cut in low. It's right at and eventually is lower than sea level as it dumps into the Dead Sea. But let's say that the Jordan represents our life. It's our birth at the source, our life, and then eventually our death. And without a break in anything, our life of the Jordan River, really Jordan means descending. It means falling, going down. Okay, But the Dead Sea is hundreds of feet below sea level. And there you have a collection pool. The only way that it's ever going to get rid of water is by evaporation. And then the concentration of, of, the, of the residue that comes down continues to build up. And that's why the salt, the, the, it's called the Dead Sea, is so full of salt and mineral. Okay? Let's keep that in mind as we're reading through this. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground. Not muddy ground. While all, uh, all Israel passed by until the whole nation was completed, had completed the crossing on dry ground. Verse 4, when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. First of all, that was a lot of people. How long were those priests standing there in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground until millions of people crossed over? I don't know about you, but that's some supernatural strength. I don't think any man in and of himself could do that. I think birthing mothers could. (laughs) But any man in and of himself, I don't know, could do that. had to be something supernatural. Hmm, interesting. But they stood there till everyone crossed over. Think of this. The Ark of the Covenant representing the presence of God, stood in the middle of the Jordan and water ceased. We have a natural path born in of ourselves. We're born into sin from the Adamic race. Where did the water stand? Adam. And as soon as the Ark of the Covenant, the representation of God, landed in the middle of the Jordan, the water stopped. It was at flood stage. Sin is at flood stage. The water stopped. And it was cut off from the Dead Sea. And then the people passed through. Is that not a depiction of salvation? Beautiful depiction of salvation. And then choosing 12 men from among people. I don't know about you, but I would pick the biggest men I could because I would think, God, if you shut that water off, you deserve to be seen. Right? But there's something unique about those stones. And I want you to think of it. Okay, I'm not a small guy. I don't know if anybody's noticed that. I'm not a small guy. I'm about six, four. <clears throat> pounds, and <laughs> and I, I, I do construction, and I, re, I remember most recently my son and I were unloading some concrete, and those bags come in 94, type S mortar mix comes in 94-pound bags. Do you ever have to deal with any of that, right? You want to hire somebody else, don't you? 
But we were taking 20 bags off the truck, 20, 20 bags. And I remember going, how am I going to carry this thing? Because years ago, Eli's age, I just gone. But I'm two years old. And <laughs> I picked up this bag and I put it on my shoulder and it's 94 pounds. I'm like, well, this is not so bad. And then about 45 steps later, I start catching cramps in my calves. And I put it down and I'm looking around going, will somebody help me? These stones, uh, we would want to assume that they're huge, but we can't really do that. I would imagine that they were different instead of huge. What happens to a stone when it's left in the water? What happens to it? What does it look like? It's well-rounded, isn't it? It's been burnt down. It's been kind of knocked down. The edges knocked off as well. How many of you have had ed- edges knocked off lately? I have. How many of you have lived in that water, that dead space? God begins doing a mighty work in your life and pulls you out and says, I'm going to set you up as a memorial stone. You're different. The neat part about this is the 12 men probably carried a good-sized stone, something that could be hoisted to the shoulder, and they were told, once everyone crossed, go back, get at the feet of the priest, pick up a stone. I would have been so proud. I would have been so full of energy. I know these priests are waiting on me, but I'm like, there's something supernatural about them holding it for that long, hours, I'm sure, for that many people to cross. I would find the biggest stone I could carry in honor of God, and I would put it on my shoulder. I'm like, God, please help me. And I'll be so proud to carry that stone because it marked a change. Finally, my parents died in the wilderness. My grandparents died because they rebelled. Moses, our leader, is no longer here, but we have a new leader. God is faithful. We heard what he was going to do at Mount Sinai. He was going to have us cross over, and we did. We've crossed it, and I get to go back. I am chosen. I'm one of the 12 that gets to pick up a stone, and I get to pick it up and carry it. And I'm going to set it up wherever God wants us to camp. Imagine the energy behind that. How many of you feel right now you could carry a heavy stone? Two of us. Okay, I did my job. <laughs> no, we all could. When God does something amazing in your life, there's like a supernatural energy that just changes you. Ah, i got to pick it up. So they pick up this stone, and there's something unique about the way it looks, even the size of it, and they're carrying it. And they carry it to Gilgal. That's the first night that they're supposed to be somewhere. I'm going to stop. i got to go back to reading. I'm getting excited here. So I'm sorry. <laughs> when the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose the 12 men, 12 stones, middle of Jordan, from uh, right where the priests are standing, carry them, camp tonight. Verse 4. So Joshua called together the 12 men, and he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, Israelites, to serve as a sign among you in the future. When your children ask you. What? That just showed up again, didn't it? What coincidence is that? When your children ask you, what do those stones mean? You tell them. The flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. You tell your children, the curse of sin is cut off because of Jesus Christ. You tell them. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to their camp, where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had... Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan. I bet they were slick rocks. 
hold on, it also says that they should have plaster on them as well, and it should have covenant written on there as well. At the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant stood, verse 10, Now the priest who carried the Ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything the Lord had commanded Joshua was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the Ark of the Lord and the priests come to the other side while the people watched. They didn't just turn their back and get their fill for the day and walk on, did they? No. There was something that caused them to cross over and turn around and watch. How many Sundays we come here and we're impacted and we move on? We need to turn around and watch, re-listen. How many, guys, how many times do we go online and listen to some of these messages that have been preached years ago? I do. And I'm, I'm inspired every time. Let's be the kind of people that turn around and watch. Because God wants to do some amazing things. His agenda is much more important than ours. I promise you. I promise you. Verse 15. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant law to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come up out of the Jordan. And the priest came up out of the river, signifying no longer is, just like baptism, buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and raised to walk a newness of life. Can you just picture that? Priests come in, boom, boom, and they're done. How many have been baptized like that? I have. No sooner had their feet on the ground, uh, uh, feet on dry ground, than the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. Folks, there's still an issue with sin in the world, isn't there? We know what the path is. We know how to get across it. Verse 19, on the 10th day of the first month, the people went up from the Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. Folks, was there another thing that we talked about on the 10th day of the first month recently? We just did, didn't we? The lamb. The lamb was brought into the house on the 10th day of the first month. And here we see this is a new beginning. God's promises have been fulfilled. He delivered his people. That's exciting to me. And Joshua set up at Gilgal the 12 stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, In the future, when your descendants ask their parents, What do the stones mean? You tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan. So let me ask you, what's your memorial stone? Is there something in your life that God has just absolutely delivered you from? Apart from salvation. There are people listening today. They may hear this message four, five, six years from now. <coughs> They may be struggling in so many ways, and they're stuck on the wrong side of the Jordan. And they need hope, and they need life. Let me share even more. It may be that they're dead in their sins, spiritually dead, and they're floating in the Jordan. And folks, we can throw flotation devices all day to someone who's floating that's dead. And it doesn't matter. No matter how many flotation devices we throw at someone that's dead, no matter how often we call to them, it's not going to happen. They're not going to reach up and take hold. Because as it said before, there's no, it's the act of the blood and it's not by our merit that we come. That's what you're saying. It is only by the quickening power and the movement of the power of the Holy Spirit. When people bend your knees, when we bend our knees, God flexes his muscle and lives change. There are people right now that are face down spiritually. 
we can't just throw a tractor. We can't just say, hey, this, we need to be involved in prayer. We need to pray for those people that are caught up in addictions, that are caught in financial woes, that have lost somebody loved. They are just reaching out for help. And they're not going to be able to make the connection unless we are praying and, and, and ask the Holy Spirit to intervene. All right, we're going to wrap this up here in a little bit. I want you guys to turn to Matthew 27. Verse 32 through 54. Are you guys okay I'm reading the Bible? <laughs> just want to make sure. Because I'm okay reading it. This has really impacted my life. Guys, I, if, if, I, I hope that it speaks to you as, as it's been speaking to me. Matthew 27, 32. As they were going out, they met a man from Cyrene named Simon, and they forced him to carry the cross. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. There they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there. Above his head, they placed the writing charge against him. This is Jesus king of the Jews. And two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in these three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, the chief priest, the teachers of the law and the elders, that's a lot of high prolific profile people, isn't it? Man, they just don't, they just don't get it. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. So they're putting contingencies on God. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the Son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults. Let's talk about the death of Jesus, verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came all over the land. We just read in Egypt, darkness came over the land. And that was the ninth plague, wasn't it? What was getting ready to happen next? The firstborn was going to die. The firstborn was going to die. About three in the afternoon, noon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was a lot of wailing in Egypt, wasn't there? The blood is not yet spilled. When some of those standing there heard this, they said, he's calling Elijah. Immediately, one of them ran and got a sponge. He filled it with wine vinegar. That was to knock the paint off. Put it on his staff and offered it to Jesus to drink. The rest said, now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes to save him. Folks, they totally missed prophecy being fulfilled right in front of them. These were the teachers these were the elders. These were the scribes. These were the people who were supposed to be telling the people, look for Messiah. Instead, they totally missed it. Totally missed it. And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, curtain of the temple was torn. Now, I'm stop for a second because there's six miracles that really happened here. The first is darkness came over the land. Just mentioned that. The second was the curtain of the temple was torn, and that was important. 
scholars will argue, was that separate the Jews from the Gentiles? I don't think so. I believe that separated the holy from holies from the people. And that was torn. In my understanding, it was a thick curtain, really thick curtain, maybe four inches. And it was rent in two, torn. I think the spirit of Jesus went right through it on our behalf. But not only that, he went through to offer himself, but he tore it that we might have access to the Father, making us holy. Huge. So at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Secondly, the earth shook. Third, the rocks split. Fourth, the tombs broke open. I want to say this. Rock splitting is an act of force. Tombs breaking open is an act of design. God planned for those tombs to be open so that the first fruit of resurrection would be seen. Because we see what happens. The bodies of many holy people who had died were what? Raised to life. When Jesus died, went through the Holy of Holies, tore, the earth shook. He's at the epicenter. And, we, and I know, <laughs> no doubt in my mind, this happened right there where he was crucified. Rock split, tombs around him opened because it says the people there walked immediately into Jerusalem. So we know what happened right there. I don't know what happened globally, but I know what happened right there. Could you imagine the story that these people recently raised a life just shared? What if you received somebody back in your life that you know went to be with the Lord Jesus Christ? What kind of story would they share with you? Wow. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Very powerful. When the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was a son of God. So here it is. The scribes, the Pharisees, all the people that knew the law, all the people that knew scripture missed the prophecy, but the very people who crucified him figured it out. There was an indictment on those who killed him. Guys, we're no different than the Roman soldiers. Our sin put Jesus on the cross, but we figure it out. By God's grace, we can figure it out, and we can recognize surely he is the Son of God. You know, we have a call to remember the Lord's death, his burial, and his resurrection. We do that. We had the Lord's Supper, and we need to do it intensely. We have a privilege also to tell people why this is more than just a memorial. Jesus did an act, but he did an act that changed mine and your lives. Last thing. If you guys will turn to 1 Peter 2. And we're going to talk about living stones. So we've talked about blood on the, on the lintel and the doorpost. We've talked about the memorial stones. We've talked about the empty graves. And now we're going to talk about the living stones. 1 Peter 2, 1 through 10. Therefore, rid yourselves. <coughs> rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. And I, I shared this last Sunday when I gave announcements, if you remember. I did it on purpose. When we recognize all the things the Lord has done in our lives, when someone does something nice for you, you want to shuck away everything that would get between you and gratefulness and thankfulness, wouldn't you? 
So get rid of all malice. Get rid of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies. Where'd that baby go? Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You can actually see this happening. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God is precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I remember serving as a missions pastor in Kenya and uh, visiting Kenya and language barriers. You know, they pick, you know, you pick up on about half of what is said, even through interpreting. And I never will forget uh, just in this small little place, uh, the, the pastor asked me to come up and speak. And I was struggling trying to figure out the culture, different tribes, different dialects. I wasn't sure what I was going to speak on. And I was like, God, I'm, I'm being, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. And so I'm literally called out, was not prepared. I turn around and walk up and I stand behind here and I really had no idea what I was going to talk about. And back through the back, a door was open. A man had walked through and propped the door open for ventilation. It was only about 75 degrees down there. Uh, It was hot. Um, And as I look through, it's dark in here. There's no light, but it's bright outside. And right outside was a pile of stone. And I thought of the diversity in the room. I thought of the challenges, and everybody wanted something. Everybody wanted something from us because you're American, you got money. Give us something. And I said, guys, let me read. And I read this verse. Put all of that aside. And I said, turn and look. We are to be built up as living stone, as one body in Christ Jesus. We put all these things away. They cannot be in the mixture because it will mess up the structure. And I can't remember all I said, but it was one of those moments where you knew God was speaking to people. There was too much friction and too many factions and too much fighting. There was too much fear and chaos and frustration. But for a moment, there was peace because I could look through, they could look through, and we could see this is who we're to be. If I give up rights to myself completely give up rights to myself and stop thinking I'm owed something and I submit myself to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I submit myself to each of you in here. You know what? We're going to be a strong building. We're going to be a living stone. We're going to be a living and breathing organism that changes everything. You remember John the Baptist was at the Jordan? I'm about wrapping it up, I promise you. That was not all a coincidence where the baptism for repentance was happening, was it? Matthew 3, 5 says that people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming, to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. 
I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. I got stuck on the word these stones. I got stuck on the words Gilgal, where that was. So about 3 o'clock this morning, (laughs) um, um, I started looking and reading. And I realized that Gilgal can not only be a place. We do know there was a tell Gilgal. It's a location that was more permanent. But when when the Hebrew nation crossed over Jordan, they were still nomadic, right? They were still nomadic. And maybe part of hygiene, maybe part God commanding, but they would set up camp. And they probably set up Gilgal in several places. So there may have been times that these memorial stones were set up closer to the Jordan than others, maybe closer to Jericho than others, maybe closer and finally permanently at Tel uh, Gilgal. But each of those camps were in the shape of your right foot. God promised Wherever your foot shall tread, tread, you shall possess it. I didn't know that. And I said, man, that's just, that's just crazy. But I kept looking and reading, and there's a lot of scholars that are showing. About 2% of the Holy Land has been excavated. That means there's 98% there. And recent excavations are beginning to show that there's encampments, and those encampments are shaped like a right foot. And there's an altar, there's a place for the tabernacle, a place for them to set up the tents. So it's quite possible that in one of those encampments, and they, oh, excuse me, they also had the memorial for the 12 stones. And it's possible that in one of those encampments, during the time of John the Baptist, that that footprint was right near the Jordan. And as people are coming down, as they're coming down to be baptized, to say, I confess my sins, in the Jordan River, they pass by these stones. Look what John says. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, maybe he was pointing to the 12 memorial stones. Out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. You're not such hot stuff, right? God's got a plan. Then, verse 13, then, and I want to wrap it up with this. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? And Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love, with whom I am pleased. Do you see all the things that are happening? Hey, folks, the owner of the Ark of the Covenant showed up at the Jordan. The Passover lamb showed up at the Jordan. The resurrection and the life showed up at the Jordan. The living stone showed up at the Jordan. So we who have been redeemed should have a story. It should be a powerful story. I was this, now I'm this. I was a dead man or dead woman floating in my sins. God saved me. 
we should stop in having a call to remember what the Lord has done. So when asked by our children, what does this mean? We'll be ready to tell them. You've been listening to a broadcast from LifePoint Church in Greenville, South Carolina. If this ministry has touched your life in some way, we would love to hear from you. Just visit our website at www.lifepointsc.org for more information. Or, if you prefer to reach us by letter, you can write to us at P.O. Box 27036, Greenville, South Carolina, 29616, USA. Until next time, may God bless you as you continue to follow Him.